Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. And welcome to the first vlogcast and podcast of 2020, which means we have to wish you, or should wish you, a very healthy and happy new year. And hopefully a wise one well by subscribing to What Doctors Don't Tell You. But that aside, with the new year, Lynn, um, it's always the time, I think, when immediately people think about Losing the weight they put on over Christmas in particular, you know, getting rid of the excesses. And I want to talk to you at length about weight loss a little bit in a moment. Um, And um, particularly, you know, what you feel does work, what doesn't work and all the rest of it. Because I'd like to join in on that because I've been doing some research about calories and calorie restriction as well. But before we move on to that more general theme, I just want to pick up something that was highlighted by a recent research study. And in, in particular, it deals with young girls who, um, and I think it's really down to social media and the enormous pressure they're always under and how body conscious they become because of it. And, um, you know, as a result, they're often going to find often online diet pills and laxatives to help them lose weight. Well, some researchers at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health have taken a look at this and said, well, just how safe are these pills? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is that they've already been, adverts for these have already been banned by Instagram, um, who are concerned about young girls in particular seeing adverts for detox teas and diet pills. And uh, these researchers want to go a bit further and say, well, what happens down the road uh, if they do take these things? Well, what they have discovered is that uh, young girls who take laxatives increase the fivefold risk, increase the risk of suffering a serious eating disorder within the following year. And the diet pills alone have an 80% increased risk of of an eating disorder uh, within that year. Um, and it's a big study. It was uh, around 10,000 women, all aged between 14 and 36, rather at the upper end, I suppose, of very young. But anyway, they took a look at them and found out, followed them for over a year, said, well, what did happen to them? And found this was a, you know, a serious issue was emerging where, you know, what seemed to be a relatively benign thing of just trying to lose a bit of weight ended up being a very serious problem down the road. And beyond that, they said that these uh, diet pills and the sort were also gateways to other problems, such as causing hypertension, which is high blood pressure, and liver and kidney damage. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think there are several elements to the story, Then One, of course, is extreme social media pressure on uh, body consciousness that these young girls have to go through, and the, the, the lengths they're prepared to go to to try and lose the weight. But the fact that this is you know, a relatively unregulated market and there aren't the safeguards in place. And um, yeah, it, it is hard to know where you go with this. I mean, Instagram, as I say, have taken the lead uh, by banning adverts. I mean, Facebook and the rest still allow these adverts to proliferate. So I mean, do you have any views on that, Lynn? Well, I think it's criminal that these are allowed to mm. be sold over the internet without kind of provisos about this. I mean, one thing that comes to mind with these kinds of laxatives and diet pills is one thing that makes people anorexic very quickly is um, a low zinc status. When zinc becomes really low, even animals become anorexic. So I'm wondering whether or not these kinds of diet pills with flushing out um, 
things in the body very quickly lead to low, very, very low zinc status. Mm. So that's one thought. Um, but what is also criminal about it is that it's really quite easy to lose weight. That's the sad thing of it. And we now know that um, having tried all kinds of diets and many diet fads, um, you know, that have, have been best-selling books, we've moved from looking at a calorie as a calorie to thinking of what the body does with certain things. Mm. And that the thing that really puts on weight that causes storage is essentially sugar. And to the body, any kind of refined carbohydrate, any kind of high glycemic carbohydrate is turned into sugar. Mm. So that's one factor. And all of the diets like paleo diets, kind and gentle keto diet, um, as we feature in our January issue, January 2020 issue of What Doctors Don't Tell You, Get Well. Um, all of those kinds of diets regulate and really restrict your consumption of carbohydrates. And weight just falls off for most people. Without mm. a thyroid problem, weight just falls off. Mm. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, we still have the prevailing view, despite all the science, that, you know, it's all about calorie control. And I think people are still, if you don't particularly read the research yourself, which a lot of people, and sort of a lot of young people probably don't do, and so they're probably thinking, well, that must be the solution. It's all about calorie control. And many, many of the major slimming and diet, clubs and what have you still follow that and it sort of brings me up on that point I raised a bit earlier Lynn about um, calorie control because there was some research done amongst um, some young children in the Amazonian basin now why is that interesting well because they're still actually um, foragers and they still are primarily reliant on their food from agriculture which means these kids are expending enormous amounts of energy and in fact, on average, 25% more than the average Western kid. And yet they're no more, most slimmer, if you like, than the Western child. And they said, well, why would that be if you're expending more energy? And the researchers discovered it was because the body is smart and it doesn't just do a straight line calorie burn. It, it preserves calories and it uses them for other functions. And you, it, it, as there's a point where you you stop burning calories. And it doesn't matter how much exercise you do or other strenuous work, whatever it is, your body will stop burning calories and the body will maintain and, and keep those calories for other vital functions, which I think is quite interesting. But I think you know, beyond that is what you alluded to earlier, Lynn. I think it is also, and again, it's not really talked about a lot, but it is the quality of the food. And, you know, it was it was another myth from the calorie uh, crowd, which was a calorie is a calorie. Well, clearly it is not. It's to do with the, 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 the initial sort of root, if you like, of that calorie. Where did it come from? And as you've said, Lynn, it's the high sugars, the processed food calories that burn and get stored as as, as sugars which get stored as fat and it's these that in fact put on the weight and again i mean we, generally this is known and yet somehow it's not known and 
you know, you still see people trying to sweat it out at the gym just to lose weight. And, you know, these researchers who looked at the, the calorie situation in the Amazon said, well, look, of course exercise is good for you, but it has remarkably little to do with losing weight. It has a lot to do with cardiovascular health, and it's very aerobic, and it's good for the muscles and the bones. All these things, yes, exercise is really good, really important, but don't exercise just to lose weight. I mean, it's that great old adage, Lynn, you can't outrun a bad diet. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but it's Absolutely. true. Yeah, but it's true. Absolutely. And it's, you know, what people have to understand, too, is what you just said. It's it's processed foods that are mm. the problem. Mm. So one of the key, really, cornerstones of losing weight is cook from scratch. Mm. You know, whenever possible, cook from scratch Limit your processed carbs. Um, eat f- eat fresh. You know, eat fresh foods. Um, lots of fruits and vegetables, and you don't have to starve yourself. Mm. You know, on a paleo type diet, you can eat loads. Mm. It's about what you're eating. You know, your body in a lot of ways is kind of a chemistry set, mm. and it's about putting in those right foods that. Make it run optimally. And in that situation, without getting bogged down in a lot of processed carbs, it will get to its natural uh, good weight. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, I think we've found two diets particularly effective, and certainly one for me, because I was pre-diabetic at one stage, and um, we picked up on the low glycemic index diet, which had been pioneered by Michel Montignac, a French uh, scientist or biophysicist, and he'd been working on this diet to help people with diabetes, and he was discovering that it was reversing early-stage diabetes, but he also noticed these people were losing weight. And this got him thinking about developing the diet further for people who also wanted to lose weight. So he looked at the foods that they were eating and those that were delivering high sugar quickly. And it was a number of things. It was mainly the white stuff as a, as a, as a, as a white bread and it was white rice and, and um, it was... Um, white potatoes. White chips or fries, as, as the Americans mm-hmm. call them. Uh, beer was high amongst that. And these high glycemic th- were, were the problem. And once these were eliminated from the diet, um, you know, you start losing the weight. And I did. I lost about 30 pounds in, I don't know how long it took. It was about several months, I suppose, which is probably a, a good, healthy way of losing weight, probably a little bit rapid. Uh, but that's what happened. And then beyond, beyond that, I know you've been tinkering, trying the paleo diet as well, Lynn, mm. which you've also found to be extremely effective. Mm. Um, do you see that the paleo is a long-term diet, though? Or is it a- yeah, I do, because the paleo, I mean, I was more interested in the paleo diet as a non-inflammatory diet, Mm -hmm. getting rid of things that cause inflammation. So one of those things are grains, um, they found. So instead of just removing the white stuff as they do with the Montagnac diet, they also eliminate grains. And of course that includes, and, and plus processed foods and processed sugars. And they increase the amount of fat, which seems to also be really important because your body ends up Um, running on fat for fuel Mm. rather than sugar Mm. for fuel. I mean, Mm. the body shifts a bit. Mm. When we first tried a paleo diet, we both had a week of of kind of me, constant hunger, and and you 
dreaming about certain foods until our bodies <laughs> yeah. got used to it. Yeah. And now now they are. And that was with paleo, you got one end of the spectrum, and then beyond that even is Atkins really, isn't it? Is keto, the keto diet, as they now call it, which is yeah. really considering how much carbohydrate you t- you take mm, in mm. and getting your body in a state of ketosis. It's almost zero carbs, isn't it? It's, it's way down there. Yeah, and yeah. Um, one thing that we've just published is, is a story of a kinder and gentler approach to a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that essentially is a paleo diet. Mm. So there are other ways for people to do it, particularly people who are vegetarian or vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, they can, you know, it's hard with vegans to cut out grains because mm. they've cut out, you know, uh, meat and a lot of animal protein products. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but there are lots of other ways, but the key really isn't about calories. Yeah, exactly. So, but you just, just on that point about grains, Lynn, I mean, you know, a good half the world lives off rice. Mm-hmm. So what what's so bad about it? Well, I think there's several things about it. Rice these days has a lot of arsenic in it okay. from almost all sources. There's only uh, one, essentially one source of, of rice, and the better one is white rice, believe it or not, mm. for not having arsenic in mm. it. Um, so that's one issue with rice now, which is terrible. It mm-hmm. really has to do with the way it's produced mm-hmm. and not rice in general, not rice inherently. Um, But for lots of people, both beans and um, grains cause a lot of gut inflammation. So if you're looking at trying to lower that, getting rid of grains, getting rid of beans is one of the first things people recommend. And a lot of people have reversed a lot of illness on these diets. So I think the take home is, look, guys, this isn't difficult. (laughs) <laughs> but it really has very little to do with calorie control. Um, so, well, I think that's a really worthwhile excursion into the world of diet and foods, Lynn, on this New Year broadcast. So thank you for that. Well, they call it just about the simplest operation you can do. It's the safest operation you can do, and it's one of the most effective operations you can do. And that is, of course... Total hip replacement surgery. And um, indeed it is. It is all those things. And so much so that in America in particular, the patient is going home the same day. And once upon a time, that was frowned upon. But now they say they've perfected the surgery to such an extent that it's perfectly safe for the patient to hobble home the same day and not uh, not uh, take up a hospital bed. Well, people at Cornell University begged to differ. They said, hold on a minute. This is not quite as safe as we're saying. We do need to keep our eye on the patient a little bit longer than three hours. And at the very, very least, they should be staying in overnight uh, to make sure that everything is safe and and, and they are well. Uh, Because they did a bit of a follow-up on this, and they found that people who were leaving hospital the same day were twice as likely to suffer a serious cardiac or pulmonary complication inside the first 30 days after the operation. And oftentimes, this would happen within the first few days after the operation. And um, in some cases, risk was nearly four times greater than those who just stayed in the hospital one night. Uh, 
And um, this business of same-day's discharge is a relatively recent thing. I mean, it goes against all the best uh, guidelines, best practice guidelines, which have been in operation for many, many years. And the reason why, I say, the Cornell uh, researchers is because of finance. It always goes back to money, doesn't it? And so it saving money, saving the cost, they're getting the patient out sooner. I mean, it's quite interesting. In 2018, just a year or so ago now, total knee replacement surgery became a same-day procedure. And hip replacement is expected to follow suit very soon. I mean, it is currently happening, but it isn't quite the standard procedure, but an awful lot of uh, hip-hop patients are indeed already leaving the hospital that day. Um, they they do it's quite a quite a big survey of it. They they looked at two hundred twenty six thousand knee replacement procedures, and uh, three thousand of whom were sent home that same day. And uh, so you know it's 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 clever stuff, but it ain't that clever. So you know <laughs> you know people do need still still need to be looked after a bit more. Well, I think this is the general trend in American hospitals is to boot patients out as quickly as possible. Mm. They certainly do it with people giving birth mm. and now they're moving on to their more successful operations. But as you said, Brian, one always has to understand that an operation is surgery. And no matter what, the body can be a bit shocked by that. Mm. And certainly with hip and knee replacements, I, I know certainly with hip replacements, the thing you have to worry about most are infections and deep vein thrombosis. And of course, there, there can be other things like cardiac issues and you know heart issues. And that's what they're finding, an increase in these patients who go home early. Mm. Because when you stay in hospital, when you stay in the hospital for a few days, as they do in the UK, um, the people can mind you. The physios get you up and walking right away, whether it's a knee or it's a hip up. And they can look after you and monitor what's going on. Make sure you're taking the, the medication. It's usually very low dose medication to avoid um, deep th vein thrombosis. Yeah. They make you wear uh, those compression <coughs> socks. All of those things yeah. are really important to watch. And yeah. if you do that, the risk is minimized. If yeah. you're home yeah. and you forget yeah. or you're groggy or whatever, I can see how that increases. Yeah, I mean, because there's the anesthetic as well, isn't there? It's not just the procedure. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, is it? Is it always? I mean, I know something I've heard. It isn't always total anesthetic. It can be localized, but I'm not sure. No. I probably it's probably it's probably a spinal mm -hmm. okay. to numb the patient in, in a particular place, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then it could be light anesthetic mm. because a lot of these operations are now considered, you know, as you say, mm. more minor surgery, mm. even though they're you know, mm. sawing off a bone and putting mm. in a replacement, essentially. Mm. Um, but I think there should always be a healthy regard for the idea that you're creating a lot of internal bru bruising mm -hmm. and that even with the best surgeons and the best operations, caution is always the right word. Yeah. And I know, yes, of course, there's tremendous physiotherapy support for the for patients. But even so, to go home straight away... We, you know, these false uh, 
replacement uh, things are in in you, and you don't really know how to function with them. I mean, it would I would think you'd sort of causing accidents that way as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and certainly I've heard with doctors mm. they. Um, with the ones that are really monitoring their patients, they mm. want to make sure you can climb up and down stairs, right. whether it's either kind of replacement. So yeah. I think if you're due to have one, it's really important to try to insist that you at least stay overnight. Mm. Yeah, that's good, good, good advice. Thanks, Lynn. Sunshine, um, something that we all need and we, and uh, especially young people but they're not really getting much of it. Why aren't they? Well, people that say, well, it's because of the video games and all the rest of it, computer games. And it's also because, I suppose, the uh, some protection uh, safeguards in place in the, in the West, which say we shouldn't be exposed to too much sunshine. And I want to talk to you in a minute about vitamin D, just how vital it is, because it is extremely vital. But doctors have become rather concerned of late about this because they've discovered that uh, children are actually becoming malnourished. Uh, they have so little vitamin D naturally from sunshine that they are increasing supplementation for them. In fact, researchers have discovered that vitamin uh, prescriptions have increased 25-fold, which is enormous, 25-fold in the last 10 years alone. And um, yeah, vitamin D deficiency is serious because it can cause seizures and rickets. And uh, we need uh, high levels to maintain healthy teeth, bones and muscles, as we all know. But I know, Lynn, you have more to say about vitamin D than that. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's become uh, increasingly a worry. Uh, as I say, because kids are indoors more and more, they're not going out and playing, enjoying the sunshine. And even when they do, they get slathered with, um, you know, some protection uh, creams. And um, they're just not getting the essential sunlight they need. And I always bring this up as a quick point because people are always flabbergasted by it. But the, the sun-safe policy in the West, in the Northern Hemisphere... Uh, which would include all of Europe and uh, America and Canada, for example, is based upon sun exposure in Australia, where the sun is far, far stronger anyway. But for some bizarre reason, they've applied exactly the same measures on the sun we get here in the north and saying you could only have 15 minutes of sunlight and all the rest of it. And this is what's happening. We're now developing a whole generation of young children who are D deficient. And, you know, prescriptions on their, on their own, I don't believe are going to cut it. I think we've got to go back out into the sun to get the most natural source possible. And tell us, Lynn, why is vitamin D so important? Well, one of the real interesting key pieces of research that we've just discovered for what doctors don't tell you is the link between vitamin D deficiency and autoimmune diseases. Hmm. And so we know that this is not just a vitamin, it's a hormone hmm. that our bodies need. And as you say, usually produced because we're out there in the elements hmm. and we get sunshine for a good chunk of the year, even in little doses, even in the North. But as children become more and more indoor creatures who only have a little bit of time outdoors mm. or who even do their exercise indoors, 
you know, they're just not seeing a lot of sunlight. Mm. And so their bodies can't produce it. Yeah. And as you say, everybody's become so averse to exposing the skin to sun. Yeah. That this is really the issue. And and it's interesting, just to butt in, I mean, in the northern climes, the sun is hot enough, or, or strong enough rather, it's always hot, is strong enough only for about two to three months of the year. Mm. The rest of the time, whilst it may be sunny, it's not doing anything for you. Mm. So what's really important is to make sure that in the summer months, kids are out there and are exposing their skin to it. Now, we've written many times about how to do this. Mm. You need to uh, get out there in the morning sun before it it's so hot that it could really burn you and, and damage your skin. Um, but just get the skin a little bit red. Mm. And just exposing the skin before you put on all those sun creams, et cetera, before you put them on your children is really important. Mm. But you first have to get out there and stop playing the, the PC games to do that, don't you? <laughs> um, but the, yeah, so I mean, it's, 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 I think it's a real worry. I mean, because I think, it, you know, we've done reports about vitamin D deficiency and, and the number of conditions that are linked to this go way beyond, you know, bone health and the rest. I mean, it, it seems to have an impact on so many other problems. I mean, tardis and fatigue is, is, is another problem with it. So, yeah, I mean, it really is about getting out in the sun and enjoying life a bit, isn't it? You betcha. Thanks, Lynn. And finally, New Year, we've just been speaking about dieting. So let's talk a bit about booze. Now, I think booze is one of those subjects where I think there's probably a different piece of research comes out every day that contradicts the previous one. I don't think there's any uniformity in terms of what's safe, what's not. Should we drink at all? Can we drink one or two glasses a day? Uh, Should we binge drink and then not drink at all? Um, You know, everyone seems to have, uh, every one of those approaches seems to have its advocates. Well, yet another piece of research has just come out, which you can add to the pile and do with what you will. But they're saying that even if you drink every day, even if it's just a little bit, a glass or so every day, actually does increase your risk of cancer. In other words, you do need those days of rest when you're not boozing at all. Um, But the risk is so tiny. Um, and it makes you think, well, it's so tiny that you say, well, there could be so many other factors involved. They're saying you drink every day for five, for five, ten years, or two drinks a day for five years, raises the risk of any cancer by 5%. Now, 5% is tiny in these sorts of studies because there's so many other factors play. But nonetheless, the University of Tokyo researchers are pretty sure that it is going to have a factor in terms of cancer risk. There was a big study, to be fair. Over 63,000 cancer patients were um, monitored, and uh, their level of alcohol was also checked at the same time. They did find a direct link between those who were drinking every day and those who weren't, and they looked at other people who didn't have cancer and said, well, there you are. There's this risk. It's um, Essentially, it's this. It's a bottle of beer a day, a six-ounce glass of wine, or two ounces of whiskey. You have that every day, and your cancer risk rises by 5%, or it doesn't. I mean, I don't know. What would you make of that, Lynn? I mean, 5% is not big, is it? Well, this is interesting. I mean, mm. we get all kinds of alcohol warnings, mm. and one of our writers and colleagues, Tony Edwards, mm 
wrote a very interesting book called The Good News About Booze. Mm. And he looked at it and all the research from every area. And he found that most of the ideas about the big, big dangers of moderate to mild drinking were completely wrong. Hmm. Obviously, binge drinking, a problem. Obviously, lots of drinking leading to alcoholism and all kinds of damage to the body. But for the mild to moderate drinking, he couldn't find Hmm. much besides benefit. So in this situation, even though they set out to look at cancer risk and found a slightly elevated risk, as you say, it's so tiny. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That you have to say, well, is this really a problem? Yeah. Mind you, for most people, it's January. It's dry January. They won't be drinking at all, of course. But uh, whether you're having a drink or not, we wish you a very happy new year, a very happy 2020. Um, so I'm Brian Hubbard. Thank you for listening or watching, and we'll catch up with you again soon. And I'm Lynn McTaggart, and here's to your good health. If you've been listening to our podcast or looking at our vlogcast for a little while and you're getting a bit intrigued as to what the magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You, actually looks like and reads like, you can find out. And you can find out free of charge. Put together a special little offer for you guys. So just click the link and you'll be able to download a free recent issue for you to read at your leisure. And keep your eyes peeled for emails to follow because we have a very special offer for you to subscribe.